A hacker compromised information from the Center for Election Systems housed at Kennesaw State University. Oh, fantastic. Can the news get any better? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. If only someone had warned I them. I got the feeling that something right. Nobody. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From the Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM, Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI 92.9 FM. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on 94.1 FM WGRN. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR Public Reality Radio. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Thanks one and all to our affiliates and many more. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure. It is election day. Yes, it is election. This is not a rerun. This is not a repeat. It is election day again for voters uh, out here in California, in Southern California, in the um, U.S. Congressional District 34, a special election to replace Congressman Javier Becerra, who was appointed as California's attorney general after our previous AG out here, Kamala Harris, became a U.S. senator. It's primary day in that race. More, A little bit more on that in a bit. But there are a number of, uh, of other special elections coming up around the country in coming weeks to fill U.S. House seats vacated by Trump administration appointees. One of them being closely watched nationally is in Georgia, where they still use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems and where there was recently uh, what has been described as a major cyber attack on either the voter databases or the voting system programming or both. We don't know. I'll speak to a longtime computer scientist and voting systems expert about that reported hack shortly to try and figure out what we know and what we don't in advance of this hotly contested Special election for the U.S. House, seen by many as a potential bellwether in the run-up to the uh, to the 2018 elections. But uh, but first, speaking of uh, well, speaking of what could affect the 2018 elections, there seems to be a lot of hand wringing on the Republican side of the aisle in the U.S. Senate today. Desi Doyen, really? Yes, for some reason, uh, they're 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 all upset with. I guess themselves, Democrats, I don't know, in the wake of yesterday's news that 
Democrats now have enough votes to successfully filibuster Judge Neil Gorsuch, Donald Trump's nominee to fill the U.S. Supreme Court seat that was stolen by Republicans last year from Barack Obama's incredibly centrist nominee, Judge Merrick Garland, who who did not even receive a hearing by Senate Republicans. So Republicans are upset that Democrats are following the rules, things like filibusters and stuff, even though Republicans themselves have not followed the rules in years. Well, even though they, you know, allowed this nominee last year, Obama's nominee, to go without a hearing. And yet they're running around saying, well, you know, how dare they filibuster? That's never happened. We've never seen a partisan filibuster in a thousand years, which is not true, um, of a U.S. Uh, Supreme Court seat. Uh, for one, they essentially effectively filibustered uh, Merrick Garland. Yeah, for by more not than giving a him a hearing, but at that all. doesn't count. Or even an up or down vote. That, that uh, was a, that was a filibuster in everything but name. Apparently, that yeah, uh, that doesn't count because they didn't actually have a vote, so it wasn't actually a filibuster. So apparently, Republicans say that doesn't count. Now that the GOP's invocation of the so-called nuclear option to blow up the filibuster entirely. Well, if they're going to use it, then we'll just have to get rid of it entirely, is what the Republicans are saying. We can't help ourselves. Uh, Now that that is happening, um, this nuclear option seems inevitable, at least according to what you're hearing from from Republicans now on Capitol Hill. TPM's Tierney Sneed reports that... uh, in the uh, in the days leading into the final confirmation for Judge Neil Gorsuch, uh, we've, we're now seeing the blame game breaking out over where things went wrong for the Senate and what it means for the Supreme Court down the road. Chris Coons, the uh, the Democrat from Delaware, said we're on a path towards having a, ma- a majority likely to choose. I'm sorry, likely to choose to change the rules rather than change the nominee or negotiate with us. And that would be really unfortunate, said Coons, uh, who announced on Monday that he would filibuster Gorsuch, giving Democrats the final vote that they needed to block an up or down vote on uh, on the nomination. Coons blamed Republicans blockade of Merrick Garland specifically for putting lawmakers, quote, in a place where it's very hard to trust each other and come to an agreement. Coons said, as I've talked to my colleagues in the last week, there was a pretty broadly shared sense that this is a stolen seat and that simply threatening us with changing the rules rather than engaging with us has not been a good approach to this nomination. Coons is absolutely right. Last week, uh, Senate uh, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina told reporters, here's the effects of doing away with the filibuster on judges. You're going to get more ideological choices because you don't have to reach across the aisle and the Senate is going to become even more contested. Republicans decried the erosion of a Senate norm while steadfastly promising to go nuclear on the Supreme Court filibuster anyway, if Democrats did indeed mount one. Senator Bob Corker, a Republican from Tennessee, told reporters it's both sides. Both sides have taken us to this place. Corker noted that ending the filibuster on legislation uh, as well. This They're talking about ending it on the U.S. Supreme Court nominations, but Corker is saying, hey, next thing, we're going to kill we're going to kill the filibuster for everything, for legislation and for everything else. That would be next. Even Senator Jeff Flake, Republican from Arizona, a moderate Republican whose discomfort with nixing the filibuster has been apparent. He said on Monday he didn't see an escape route from the current deadlock. He said, I'd rather change the behavior of senators. Huh. <laughs> 
rather than well, why are you laughing? Which senators would he like to change well, the behavior? Well, he's one of them. Of. He could uh, change his behavior. He could vote against killing the filibuster. Exactly. So could Lindsey Graham. Some uh, self-responsibility would be nice here. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, said the prospects of a deal to avoid the nuclear option are not very realistic because Mitch McConnell has been planning for this eventuality ever since he stopped Garland last year. Senator John McCain uh, <laughs> laments, overall, there's, there's no cooperation when he was asked why some sort of deal wasn't achievable this time around. It's a whole lot of factors, he said, including angry people, reapportionment, reapportionment gerrymandering, none of it good. Uh, some of these comments, Lindsey Graham, we're just asking them to do what we did for Supreme Court Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. And anybody else you can think of, Lindsey Graham? <laughs> Anyone else? Nevertheless, uh, many Republicans say that they would have preferred it had not come to this, and some tried to avoid saying directly whether they would vote for the nuclear option or not. And this is where it gets interesting. John McCain was uh, lamenting about all of this on CNN today with uh, Allison Camerata on, on CNN. Here's John McCain. Let's talk about how the Senate is now poised to use, quote, the nuclear option to get um, Judge Gorsuch onto the Supreme Court. Are you comfortable that these rules, this precedent will be broken and forever more than it will just require a 51% majority instead of 60, as had been the case? I think it's a dark day in the history of the United States Senate. It's gonna happen and uh, it's interesting that Republicans were dead set against it when my former colleague Harry Reid invoked it, but now uh, it seems to be uh, okay. We're so polarized now, including between the two leaders, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, that there's no communications anymore. But look, if you can do this with 51 votes, what do you think the next nominee is gonna be like? And then what do you think is going to happen when eventually the, the Democrats are in the majority in the Senate? And that's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. What, what do you think is going to happen, John McCain, who said he would vote to kill the filibuster he's, anyway? I'm sorry. He's just powerless to do anything, but he can't even stop himself from voting from the he, filibuster. Apparently not. Yeah, he's, he's very good at decrying what is wrong and then doing it anyway. So between him and his own uh, uh, fellow senator from Arizona, Jeff Flake, and his best pal, Lindsey Graham, that's three. They could all vote against the nuclear option and it wouldn't happen. End of story. He could stop it. They could stop exactly what it is they are so concerned about. And then they'd have to come up with another nominee to fill the stolen Supreme Court seat. So it doesn't have to happen uh, that way, Senator McCain. Uh, and uh, by the way, you can help your senators, both of them, understand, uh, whoever, whatever state you're in, understand that uh, it doesn't have to happen this way. Give, give them a call. Uh, you can reach your senator, both of them, at 202-224-3121. Tell them if you would like to filibuster Neil Gorsuch to keep him from taking that stolen seat. And uh, I guess if it's a Republican, let them know if, if you'd like them to vote for or against getting rid of the filibuster altogether. Sometimes they listen. Sometimes they don't. Uh, they haven't been listening to me uh, and many others lately who are concerned about, uh, not just lately, over the past decade, uh, those of us who are concerned about electronic voting, 
and tabulation systems uh, for more than a decade. And that is still true. Uh, we're still worried about it, even with the U.S. House elections coming up for these special U.S. House elections in the next couple of weeks. And even in the wake of a recent hack of one of the groups who's responsible for programming the 100 percent unverifiable e-voting systems that is going to be used in one of those special elections. That story is maddeningly enough. Next on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Georgia. Georgia. Oh, Georgia. Welcome back. The whole Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will get to Georgia in a moment, but today is election day here in a big chunk of Los Angeles. Primary day for California's 34th Congressional District to fill the seat vacated by uh, Democratic Congressman Javier Becerra, who is now the California Attorney General, having been appointed to fill that office after California Attorney General Kamala Harris was elected to the U.S. Senate last November. There are some 24 people running in this special election primary for what is historically a Democratic seat. The top two vote getters in the uh, in the primary, regardless of party, will go on to compete head to head in the final round in early June out here in California. But there are also a, num a number of special elections coming up to fill U.S. House seats vacated by Congress members appointed to various roles in the Trump administration. One is next Tuesday in Kansas's 4th Congressional District to replace Congressman Mike Pompeo, who's now serving as Trump's CIA director. It's been a heavily uh, Republican district since the mid-90s and is expected to stay that way next week. The congressional district is comprised of about 16 different counties in Kansas, uh, with some using unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. But the bulk of the population in, uh, in Wichita's Sedgwick County, uh, where they vote largely on hand-marked paper ballots, um, although they do run those ballots through a computer optical scanner to tabulate them with little or no human verification of the results. Nonetheless, most of those votes uh, will likely be on hand-marked paper ballots, and as long as the election isn't really, really close, 
there would be a way to count them if there was any question about the results in Kansas. And then the following week, the election that many are watching uh, across the country as a potential bellwether for 2018 is in Georgia's 6th District, a long-held Republican seat recently vacated by Donald Trump's new Health and Human Services Secretary, Congressman Tom Price. He had held that seat for some 12 years, six terms, uh, before going on to, uh, to the administration. It's also the seat once held by Newt Gingrich for two decades in Georgia. That race features some 18 candidates. Now, if one of those candidates receives more than 50 percent of the vote on April 18th, they will become the next Congress member from Georgia's 6th District. Otherwise, the top two uh, vote getters in that race will compete in a runoff in June. Now, while the Republican field is largely split across uh, across a bunch of different candidates, 30 year old John Ossoff has received a lot of attention. Uh, and money from Democrats nationally hoping to uh, to take an unlikely win amidst national resistance to Donald Trump. Ossoff, uh, who is now polling around 40 percent in that race within striking distance of the 50 percent that he would need to win outright. He's raised a lot of money for his candidacy from places like Daily Coast, which broke fundraising records for him once set by candidates like uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Republicans, on the other hand, are hoping to keep Ossoff below 50 percent so they can get behind a single Republican candidate in a June runoff. The current leading Republican candidate is former Georgia Secretary of State Karen Handel. And the White House, uh, particularly Trump political advisor Steve Bannon, is said to be watching this race in Georgia's 6th very, very closely, according to New York Magazine's Olivia Nuzzi this week. But it remains a long shot uh, as a Democratic pickup. Nonetheless, the amount of money flowing now into the race on all sides is indicative of the importance that uh, both Republicans and Democrats are uh, are staking on this particular race in Georgia. Early voting is already underway there, and Democrats are said to be outperforming Republicans in early numbers. But we saw a similar pattern in the presidential election last year in Georgia as well before the state ultimately, reportedly, went to Donald Trump. Uh, Well, why do I say reportedly? Well, for one reason, Georgia still shamefully uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across the entire state for in-person voting. It, along with Maryland, was the uh, was the first state to go fully touchscreen way, way back in 2002. And they are still using those very same 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen Diebold systems first deployed there back in 2002. They were deployed and hacked, I should say, Lord knows how many times since then, including uh, some years ago. Back when uh, when we were able to obtain one of the machines, one of those Diebold touchscreen machines from a source and then gave it to the folks at Princeton University to study. They found, as I reported back in 2006, that they could overcome the system's physical security in about 60 seconds and implant a virus that could then spread itself from machine to machine and flip the results of the election with little or no possibility of detection. All right, that was 2006. Move the clock forward now to early March of 2017, just last month. On March 3, 
WSB-TV in Atlanta broke the story that the Federal Bureau of Investigation is investigating an alleged data breach described as a significant cyber attack at the Center for Election Systems at Kennesaw, Kennesaw State University, which maintains and programs the all-electronic voting systems and all of the electronic poll book systems for the entire state of Georgia. The breach was said to have uh, compromised in some fashion, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, some seven and a half million voter records at Kennesaw, at KSU. It has been unclear if the systems used to program the voting systems themselves were also part of the hack or if it was just a voter database for the electronic poll books. Nonetheless, after the FBI was called in, Kennesaw had no further public comment that would that would uh, somehow uh, compromise the criminal investigation. But Secretary of State Brian Kemp, a hard right Republican who has drawn the wrath of many voting rights advocates over the years for the way he's purged voting rolls and failed in some cases to include new voter registrations in the rolls. Kemp said no need to worry. The master voter database was kept at his office, at the Secretary of State's office, not at Kennesaw State University. Feel better yet? After news of the, uh, of the hack, the reported hack, was made public, a group of computer scientists and voting systems experts at VerifiedVoting.org, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that has uh, pushed for publicly verifiable, overseeable voting systems for years, sent a letter to Georgia Secretary of State asking him to move to hand-marked paper ballots as soon as possible for this election and for Georgia as a whole, particularly given concerns about the reported data breach. They wrote, We urge you to provide Georgia citizens with information they need to confirm before going to vote that their name will appear correctly on the voter rolls as well as backup printer voter lists in case anomalies appear. That was according to the world-class scientists and voting system experts uh, in their letter to Kemp. Some of those scientists, by the way, were involved in that infamous Princeton-Diebold hack I mentioned on those very same machines more than 10 years ago now. Most importantly, they wrote, We urge you to act with all haste to move Georgia to a system of voter-verified paper ballots and to conduct post-election manual audits of election results going forward to provide integrity and transparency to all of Georgia's elections. We would be strongly supportive of such efforts, they wrote, and would be willing to help in any way we can. Again, Kemp has denied any voter data or voting machine data has been compromised in any way. But how can the public know that? Particularly given Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. I have been trying to get more information on all of this in recent weeks, but it has been very difficult as the FBI investigation has been going forward, nobody has been talking. But over the weekend now, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports that federal investigators say a, quote, security researcher was behind the data breach at Kennesaw State University's Center for Election Systems, and his probing of the system broke no federal law, they say. In a statement, university officials acknowledged what they called unauthorized access to a server used by the center, which helps the state prepare elections information and has access to millions of Georgia voter records. 
We're working with experts within the university system of Georgia and nationally renowned outside firm to validate KSU's systems are secured and meet best practices, said KSU President Sam Olins in a statement. We greatly appreciate the speed and dedication of the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office in helping us resolve this issue. Atlanta Journal-Constitution goes on to report that a spokesperson for uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp, the state's top election official, said the office is pleased with how federal officials conducted the investigation, which was done as the state prepares for the nationally watched special election April 18 to replace former U.S. Rep. Tom Price. The state's voter registration database and other election systems run by the office were not involved in the inquiry, they say. And there is no evidence that they have been hacked. Really? Officials have said that the private company, who they don't name, who, who are they, by the way, that private company? Uh, the private company used by the office to protect those systems has been on, quote, heightened alert since the breach. The state is also planning to continue using its usual supply of electronic poll books, as well as direct recording electronic voting machines or DREs known by voters for their touchscreens. Feel better yet? Uh, joining us now is one of those scientists from VerifiedVoting.org who had sought answers uh, and reassurance and paper ballots in their letter to the Georgia Secretary of State. Barbara Simons, along with University of Michigan computer science professor Alec J. Haldeman, by the way, he was uh, one of those. He has personally hacked just about every voting system in the U.S. to date, uh, including that Princeton hack I mentioned. Uh, he and uh, Barbara were among the those who sought unsuccessfully to ask Hillary Clinton's campaign to to seek a recount of paper ballots in Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania last year, last November. Uh, and uh, and who successfully did convince Green Party candidate Jill Stein to do so even though that attempted hand count was eventually stymied by uh, by Team Trump Republicans in all three states. Barbara is, uh, in addition to being a longtime board member of Verified Voting, has also been on the board of advisors of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission since 2008. She's the co-author with uh, voting systems expert Doug Jones of Broken Ballots, Will Your Vote Count?, in 2015, she she co-authored the report of the U.S. Vote um, uh, the U.S. Vote Foundation entitled "The Future of Voting: End-to-End -end Verifiable Internet Voting," which included in its conclusion that every publicly audited commercial internet voting system to date is fundamentally insecure. She's the former president of the Association for Computing Machinery (ACM), the oldest and largest international educational and Scientific Society for Computing Professionals and the board chair of Verified Voting, where and she is now retired from IBM Research. Long introduction, Barbara Simons. It's been a long time since we talked, but welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, thanks, Brad. There are still a, a lot of questions, at least to me, about what happened at Kennesaw. Do we know exactly what happened at KSU, Barbara? Are you comfortable with the uh, with the explanation that has come in the past few days uh, that the FBI found the culprit? There's there's nothing to worry about here. Well, I, we certainly would like to know a lot more. As you pointed out, uh, there was a letter that we sent asking a whole series of questions about the attack. And uh, those questions have yet to be answered. 
among the questions um, you ask, you know, about the, the timeline for when the hack occurred, how it was discovered, did you receive any answers at all? As a matter of fact, did you receive any reply at all from the Georgia Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, to your letter? Uh, not to my knowledge, we haven't received any reply. Uh, but the article, but the news that just came out recently, mm-hmm. uh, it, it appears as if this security expert uh, notified Kennesaw State University twice about their vulnerability before this person actually hacked into KSU. So it seems as if this vulnerability it was known at least to the security expert for for some time and not repaired. Did they say in in that report how long ago this? Uh, I, I think there was one reference to this uh, same person had had either tried to contact them or had also tried to breach the system prior to the November election, the November yes. presidential election. Um, do, do we yet know anything more about that? Either who that person is what they mean when they tried to uh, access or breach the system if they were successful or if they were just uh, feeling around in there. It sure seemed at the time uh, a few weeks ago when uh, they were reporting on this that this was a hack, that this person, whoever it was, actually was able to enter the system in some fashion. All that I know, Brad, and I think, uh, I think it's true for my colleagues as well, is what we've seen in the newspapers. Uh, And I would say neither the FBI nor Kennesaw State University has been particularly forthcoming in in responding to our questions. Uh, I have concerns, and frankly, I would have these concerns, Barbara Simons, uh, even if there was not... Uh, this reported hack, because the systems that Georgia uses, uh, am I right when I describe them as 100% unverifiable voting systems? Yes, of course. There's there's no paper ballot. There's no way to verify them. So uh, there would be, I would have these concerns, frankly, particularly in an election like this with so much national attention. I would have concerns whether there was this, this hack or not. But how can voters know? Uh, should voters have confidence when they go to uh, when they go to vote in this uh, special election that their votes will be counted accurately and securely? Well, um, I personally would like to see the use of paper ballots instead, uh, and I would like to see the paper ballots uh, audited after the election. Uh, my guess is that we are probably not going to get paper ballots. Certainly not for. The initial election, uh, it would be nice to get them for the runoff, which it seems likely is going to occur. Uh, I think that's going to be a stretch, but it's certainly something to push for, and I hope people will. Uh, I've been uh, concerned about these paperless voting machines for many years and uh, trying to, you know, fighting to Mm -hmm. get rid of them. I mean, they should, I personally think it's a national scandal that they're still being used. What are the uh, what are the concerns uh, setting aside for for a minute the the voting systems themselves? Uh, there's also the electronic poll books. What what are the concerns there? That was originally where this where this breach was reported. Uh, you know, to the to the voter database. Uh, they've reported that there are separate uh, copies of this database at the Secretary of State's office versus the ones that are used to program the electronic poll books at Kennesaw. What, well, what do we, do we know about that, and what would the concerns be if somebody was able to access uh, the voter database uh, above and beyond stealing that information, for their, I guess, for their own personal use? But are there concerns in the election itself if that uh, database is is breached in some fashion, Barbara? Well, I certainly have concerns about the voter registration databases. 
there are two ways in which they could impact the election. Well, at least two ways uh, in which a hack of them can impact. And by the way, we know that at least a couple of voter registration databases were hacked into prior to the 2016 election, mm -hmm. and at least 20 more were uh, probed uh, by outside forces. So there are two things that could happen. One is uh, information about legitimate voters could be changed. So, for example, their names could be deleted altogether, or their addresses could be changed so that when they go to the polls, they are, they are apparently at the wrong poll, polling place because the address is wrong, and they're forced to vote provisionally. Or the same thing would happen if their names were deleted, they'd be forced to vote provisionally. The other, uh, and by the way, provisional ballots may or may not be counted. Mm -hmm. It depends on the state. Some states do a better job of counting them than others, and I don't know what the situation is in Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, the other uh, concern is uh, vote uh, ballot box padding. So um, you could imagine a hacker adding names to voter registration mm -hmm. databases and listing them as absentee voters, so then they get the, the paper ballots mailed to them, and then, you know, you could have the, the criminals filling out the paper ballots and mailing them back. I mean, this is not as efficient a way to steal an election as actually rigging the machines themselves, but it, it is a threat. Well, let's talk about rigging the machines themselves, particularly since there's, uh, it's almost impossible, if not completely impossible, to be able to oversee whatever results we, uh, we receive from this race. Um, the, the Netherlands recently switched uh, last minute from optically scanned Handmarked, they had handmarked paper ballots. Uh, they they switched last minute just a, a few weeks ago to hand counted handmarked paper ballots in their election for prime minister, in which there was concerns about interference from foreign hackers. And in that election, uh, you know, it was feared that a, a, a Donald Trump-like uh, right-wing racist party might win that race uh, and become prime minister. Uh, now it appears that he has lost soundly when the paper ballots were tallied uh, publicly by hand in Holland. Now, I know you're a longtime uh, computer expert, but shouldn't that be America's gold standard as well so that the people can have confidence in the results, whatever they are, when, when they're ultimately reported? I mean, it seems like it's a continuing recipe for disaster, and it seems to be getting worse and worse in this country, Barbara. Am, am I wrong about this? Well, I guess... It's sort of interesting that the, I think the, among the first people to speak out against paperless voting machines were computer scientists, mm -hmm. because we know that computers can have software bugs or hidden malicious uh, malware. Uh, so uh, it's the computer scientists who are the ones who don't trust the computers more than anybody else, I think. Uh, however, computers, I think, can play a positive role in elections. The point is that we shouldn't just take what the computers say on faith. So, for example, uh, I personally advocate the use of, of hand-marked, in some way, paper ballots, mm -hmm. uh, you, or, or, or machine-marked. They could be machine-marked depending on, on the system. There are some new systems that are doing machine-marked. But the voter has to be able to verify the ballot, and the ballot has to be used as a check against the, um, the computer-declared tally. So, so, it, so what we do in San Francisco, where I live, is we hand-mark our ballots, we feed them into a scanner, the scanner tabulates the results. Now, the, the tabulator in that scanner is a computer. Mm -hmm. And so California for a long time has had a law that requires a 1% manual recount of the paper ballots to check on, on the results. Uh, we have better ways of doing that now. This is an old law in California. Mm -hmm. But basically what you want to do is you want to look at actual paper ballots and compare them to what the computer thinks they say or says that they say to make sure that the computer is operating correctly. 
and uh, there are ways of doing this so that with so that we can catch problems. And if there are serious problems, the the audit, the post-election manual ballot audit, which is what we call it, could end up doing a total recount if there are major problems with uh, what the computer is saying. So, so uh, I, I, it's not that computers are bad per se. It's that computers have to be used properly. And when these machines, like these machines that are being used in Georgia, were first developed and, and sold, they were an improper, inappropriate use of computers. They were badly engineered. They weren't well thought through. They weren't good standards. They never should have come to market. And yet, uh, you know, when when a computer system, uh, going back to Europe for a second, when a computer system in Holland uh, was 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 hacked about a decade ago by white hat hackers who demonstrated how easy it was to get into the system, they immediately did away with their plans to use a touchscreen like system. Right. And, 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 right. and but yet we're still using the computer tabulators and the touchscreens here in this country. And when, in, in, as I said, in the Netherlands, when they had concerns, they said, you know what, we better hand count everything here 100%. Now, you've written a book about this, Barbara, how bad these machines are. I know you were recently in in uh, in, in D.C., I think lobbying uh, uh, Congress, as I understand, uh, to try to move things forward. We've had virtually every system in the U.S. Uh, hacked by testers, uh, uh, you know, and yet we still continue using them. Uh, did you get any sense in talking to Congress that they understand these concerns, that there is any way out of this, uh, this mess that we seem to be in in this country? I think there are some people who do understand the concerns at this point. Um, and, and, you know, I am hopeful that we are going to be able to reform our voting system. We have to, basically. Uh, my view is that um, the recounts, what the recounts showed, the recounts in the 2016 election, or the recount attempts, because they w- were stopped. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, one, 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 one small point. In yep. Michigan, it, in Pennsylvania, it was stopped by the Democratic Secretary of the Commonwealth, uh, yes. not Republican. Yes, both. It, it both. They were both against you. Uh, you're absolutely right, yeah. Yeah. But um, the fact that um, we use insecure voting machines such as we have in Georgia, and such as, by the way, 80% of people in Pennsylvania vote on paperless touchscreen voting machines that cannot be checked, uh, is, of course, in and of itself inexcusable. So we have the combination of insecure technologies still, still being deployed in this country, plus the opposition to doing any checking after the election that we saw with the opposition to the recounts. So uh, the conclusion, I think, for our enemies is, we have insecure systems, and even where we have secure systems, we don't want to look at them. So what is that saying to the world? It's saying hack us. And I fear that in 2020 we will be hacked if we don't reform our voting system. I think it's a really critical thing. I think that our democracy is very much at stake here. And and it's to me it's the number one issue, and it's what I am devoting all my efforts to now. I know you worked uh, very hard uh, with a, num- a number of other computer scientists to get, you know, those real paper ballot hand counts in Michigan and Wisconsin and where available in in uh, in Pennsylvania after the presidential election. But doesn't the difficulty there and, the, you, you know, we had a very close election uh, in those three states uh, combined, if you sort of average them out in those three states, if if just three votes in each precinct had been recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump, she would be the president right now, not him. Just three votes in each precinct. And yet, 
You had such a difficult time, I know, trying to convince the, the Clinton campaign to just have a public hand count of these ballots that had been almost entirely counted by uh, by computers. Finally, Jill Stein uh, agreed to do so. She was able to quickly raise the money to do so. There was a, a hunger in this country to see those ballots publicly counted and had to have the results confirmed. And yet... Uh, she was fought every step of the way, and we were not able to get a legitimate hand count of those paper ballots, a legitimate public count of those ballots. D- doesn't that underscore, Barbara, that, and, and I know you're a computer person, and as am I, by the way, uh, and this probably drives you as crazy as it drives me, but doesn't it underscore that having paper ballots is not enough, that we need hand-counted paper ballots, we need it on election night, because anything that happens after that, once the results are called, that's it. Then the parties start getting in there and fighting to, you know, to prevent anybody from seeing or touching those ballots in any way, shape, or form. Well, I, I have a slightly different conclusion from yours, Brad. Mm-hmm. I agree that, hand ca- that, that paper ballots in and of themselves are not sufficient. That, that lesson was very clear from the 2016 election. Uh, the problem is we have some very bad laws. Mm-hmm. We have laws such as we have in, in Pennsylvania that seem designed to make it impossible to do a statewide recount. Uh, even in Florida, where we have paper ballots, there is a law that essentially makes it impossible to do a statewide recount. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that Florida doesn't want to repeat a Florida 2000, and they've written this law so that you can't do a statewide recount in Florida, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and in my mind, very anti-democratic with a small d. So uh, it's obvious that we have bad laws. Our laws need to be reformed. It's not sufficient simply to replace these bad machines with paper ballots. We need to also fix our laws. And so what, uh, what, what I would like to see is a law that requires, that mandates post, manual post-election ballot audits of of these races because we can't trust the computers we need to manually check the paper ballots against what the computer says i don't think we're going to get away from tallying via computers altogether because there's real pressure for quick results that's okay as far as i'm concerned so long as those results are considered uh provisional results Mm -hmm. and they are not finalized until after we've done a post-election ballot audit which uh, if there's a major problem with the computer, could end in, in a total manual recount. So we can't trust the computers. We need to have paper ballots. It's okay to use the computers. And in fact, the computers are almost a second. It's actually good to use the computers in addition to the manual checks because that gives you two systems. So I, I, I'm not opposed to using the computers for counting. I am opposed to, um, to taking what the computers say on face value. We simply have to check the computers, and we have to reform. We have to fix our laws. Our laws are, are, are our laws were designed for a t- for a time before we used computers in elections. They are outmoded. They are outdated, and uh, they are, as I said, in many cases, anti-democratic. And yet, where we see um, uh, small D democratic, uh, but uh, and yet where yes, we small see D, small D. Uh, yeah, we, when we when we see places that do have some sort of post-election uh, manual audit. Uh, we saw this in in Chicago. I have seen this down here in Los Angeles myself. When you have results that don't match uh, those that are reported on election night, um, action is not taken. They sort of, you know, adjust the numbers, fudge the numbers, say, oh, something must have gone wrong here or there. And 
uh, they move on. And and th- that's my problem with, you know, in theory, the post-election audit makes sense in practicality. I've never seen it work anywhere in the country, Barbara, whereas compared to hand-counted paper ballots at the precinct on election night seems to work great in places like uh, New Hampshire in some of the, the towns that do that. I, I just worry that, uh, you know, we, we continue to look for solutions that ultimately won't be solutions. But it sounds like you have more confidence in, in post-election uh, manual audits than I do. Well, I mean, they have to, it has to be done properly. And if it's abused, then I agree with you, it's not, it's not going to work. For example, as an example of what I consider an abuse, uh, in Wisconsin during the recount, mm-hmm. uh, all of Wisconsin was, quote, recounted, unquote. But in fact... About half of the locations did not do a recount, a manual recount. They simply rescanned the ballots. They simply fed them into the scanner for a second time. That's not a recount because that doesn't check on the scanner. So, um, you know, it has to be done properly. Um, if it is done properly, I think, uh, by the way, New Hampshire not only, I mean, in New Hampshire, they, there's, most of the state uses computers, but they also mm-hmm. make it easy to do manual recounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's fine. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not objecting to manual recounts yeah. at all. Uh, I'm just saying that I think that um, the political reality is that we're not going to get rid of uh, the computerized counts of the paper ballots, and that's okay so long as we check the computers afterwards and just don't accept what they say on face value. And if there are problems uncovered, then they should be. Then one should pursue. I mean, if it's done properly, we know how to do it properly. Um, these problems won't get, uh, they won't slip by. I mean, if you are doing a post-election, a risk-limiting post-election ballot audit, which is what we're Mm -hmm. advocating, when you do discover problems, you you start looking at more ballots. And you look at more ballots and more ballots and more ballots until either with very high level of confidence you're sure that the result is correct, or you've done a total manual recount. And that's the right way to do it. If you don't do it the right way, I mean, you know, yeah. All bets are off. Well, I know, and I, I feel at this point all bets are off. We've had these these problems, so many of them, for so many years. We know what the concerns are, and yet we get to, I mean, I can't think of anything more important than the, you know, the 2016 November presidential election, you know, with more questions about that election. And even then, in those states where we had paper ballots, we couldn't count them. We couldn't have them publicly uh, hand counted, which is why I'm thinking, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Barbara, and, and the other folks at uh, Verified Voting, many of them friends of mine. But I feel like unless we take the computers out of this uh, mix, there is always going to be a way to avoid public counting. We saw that, you know, after a presidential election that close. I mean, if we can't count that race by hand, I I don't know what race we will ever get to count by hand, Barbara. That's why we need new new laws. That's why we need new laws. How do we get there? I agree with you. Yeah, I I got just a minute or so here, uh, Barbara. How do we get there? What can we do? Uh, Is does does verifiedvoting.org need our support? Is there are are there other uh, you know efforts moving forward that uh, that the public can somehow get behind to change this paradigm one way or another? Well, verified voting certainly needs support because the issue has gotten so critically important. Uh, we need a lot of support. As far as, and, and thank you, Brad, for mentioning that. Uh, as far as uh, what can be done, uh, I believe that given the hacking that we've seen surrounding the election of 2016, 
people are coming to the conclusion that we came to a while ago, which is uh, elections are a uh, you know a national security issue. And if it's viewed from that perspective, then it's in everybody's interest. I mean, a- every patriot's interest, and it doesn't matter what political party you're in, to make sure that our elections are secure. And the, the only way we can really make sure they're secure is to change our laws and make sure that we can check on what the computers say because the computers are unreliable and, and they could be attacked. Yep. Uh, and and I'm, it drives me nuts. I'm sure it drives you nuts as well that we, I know you and I have both been saying this same damn thing for now well over a decade. But I guess we have to keep saying it un- until somebody finally notices. Barbara Simons, uh, board chair of VerifiedVoting.org, author with Doug Jones of Broken Ballots, Will Your Vote Count? Uh, greatly appreciate your help on this uh, on this uh, on this Georgia story, and I'm hoping I'm hoping and praying I don't have to call you after a- April 18th after the election in Georgia to find out what the hell happened there. Well, I might not know, but um, <laughs> nobody will. That's the problem. So, Brad, I just wanted to make one quick comment, that, which is that uh, the opinions I'm expressing are my own, and I'm not speaking on behalf of any of the organizations I'm affiliated with. Uh, very good. Uh, thank you for that clarification. Okay. Nonetheless, I hope folks will support verifiedvoting.org. And uh, Barbara, thank you again for all your great work. Thank you so much, Ben. All right, a quick break, and we'll uh, we'll be back with undoubtedly some more maddening news right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. But if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? Yes. If you close your eyes, exactly what it feels like. <laughs> like you mean because you keep talking about this all the time? Yeah, I've been here before. Drives me crazy, uh, you know. And and by the way, I, I love Barbara Simons. She's great, and Verified Voting is uh, great. They do really important work. But I fear that, uh, you know, they're pushing for post-election audits. Uh, well, a paper ballots, but B uh, post-election audits, and you know, they don't work. They just don't work because people don't follow the procedures. Uh, You know, the only thing that I have seen that works that people can have confidence in when it comes to their democracy is being able to oversee the results, the counting of paper ballots, hand marked paper ballots. Uh, On the night of the election, because there will be all kinds of moves, as you say, to first introduce errors accidentally, but also for interested parties to try to stop the application of even if there were a strong post-election audit law. If you're named the winner, there is no reason that you want anyone else to to change anything, to look at those results in any way, shape or form. If you're announced the winner on election night, 
You know, and that's what Bush did in 2000. That's what Trump did in 2016. They went to court and they said, hey, uh, you know, I will be irreparably harmed if we actually count these ballots. So, yeah, you can change the laws. I agree with Barbara. The, the laws are terrible and need to be changed. I just fear uh, a lot of people may work real hard for these post-election audits and then find they don't work, just like they worked real hard to have those so-called voter verifiable paper audit trails, the VV pats on touchscreen machines, only to find out that, yeah, those don't work either. So um, anyway, uh, got yeah, you got a thought. Well, I just had a really yeah, quick thought that uh, in and I can understand her position that it seems politically impossible to get the laws changed in order to prevent use of computers in the ca- in the tabulation process. I, I can understand that there is a bit of a logical issue, though. You have to elect the people in the first place to change the laws to get those laws in place. It is the electing of the people who will do that is where we have a problem. I also fear, as long as we keep saying it's politically impossible to do away with the computers, that it will be politically impossible. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I I fear, in many cases. Nonetheless, my thanks to uh, Barbara Simons and uh, her very important work that I wish uh, more people uh, took notice of before an election went south on them. Uh, All right, very quickly here, let's see if I can get to another story or two to, uh, to frustrate you. Uh, at the the end of the day here, Uh, the NCAA will consider North Carolina as a host for championship events once again after the state rolled back a law that limited protections for LGBT people. Uh, That according to AP. And, uh, of course, that's just the headline that North Carolina was uh, hoping for, that uh, the, the law was rolled back. Well, it wasn't really rolled back. It was changed But it's still uh, just as discriminatory as it was before, as uh, Tara Borelli we had on on the show uh, a few days ago from Lambda Legal, who's still challenging that law, uh, HB2, the bathroom, the so-called bathroom law in uh, in North Carolina uh, that uh, discriminates, makes it illegal to pass anti-discrimination laws against LGBTQ people in the state. So they changed it. It used to be illegal uh, to to pass an anti-discrimination law forever. Now it's only illegal to pass such a law until the end of 2020. And that was apparently enough to trick the NCAA into saying, "Okay, well, we'll consider uh, going back, bringing games back to North Carolina. The governing body of NCAA said on uh, Tuesday that its board of governors had reviewed moves to repeal the bathroom bill and replace it with a compromise law. The NCAA offered a lukewarm endorsement of that change, saying the new law, quote, meets the minimal NCAA requirements while expressing concerns about its provisions. So they know that there's still some problems here. But the law was changed, and so they're going to consider it again. The NCAA statement said a majority of the board, quote, reluctantly voted to allow for consideration of bids from North Carolina during uh, current deliberations for uh, various sites for uh, for championship games running through 2022. The NCAA had pulled seven events from the state in September for the uh, 2016 and 2017 season, including men's basketball uh, tournament games from Greensboro in March in response to the law. Those games were moved to Greenville, South Carolina which had banned uh, had been banned from hosting events themselves for years before 
That was uh, that ban was lifted following the removal of a Confederate flag from state capitol grounds in 2015. So the NCAA gets it. It's just they seem to pick and choose when they get it, I guess. North Carolina Governor uh, Roy Cooper, the uh, new Democratic governor of North Carolina, had signed that compromise bill last Thursday to repeal elements of HB2. After passage by the state legislature earlier in the day, even while saying that it was not a perfect solution, the uh, the state, the North Carolina State Sports Association, had estimated some $250 million in potential impact from 130 event bids that they had submitted to the NCAA. Chris Scro of Equality North Carolina, the executive director there, we've had Chris on this show, said it is disappointing to see the NCAA backpedal after it stood strong against the deeply discriminatory HB2. The new bill, HB 142, continues the same discriminatory scheme put forward by HB2 and does little to protect the NCAA's players, employees, and fans. The NCAA's decision has put a seal of approval on state-sanctioned discrimination, said Scro. So that's where we are on that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to cheer you up, but Des, I don't think this will do it. Uh, one more story here. President Trump rolled back a trio of regulations on Monday, including protections for hibernating bears in Alaska. Yeah, I know about that one. It's it's not pleasant. It the, is definitely not. Nope. The, uh, it was apparently an Obama-era rule uh, from the Fish and Wildlife Services that prohibited certain hunting tactics that target predator animals like bears and wolves while they are inside Alaska's national preserves. That would include a ban on hunters using airplanes. That's been lifted. So get back in your plane, Sarah Palin, and start shooting. Uh, but also, apparently, uh, bears, while they're hibernating, yeah. can be yes. shot. Yes, bears and, and wolves can be shot and gassed as well with their, with their young in their dens when they are asleep and can't do anything to protect themselves, can't get away. And just by the way... How sporting. I know. How sporting. This inhumane killing tactics. And it's uh, National Wildlife Refuges. They're supposed to be refuges for wildlife. No, we're supposed to go and apparently hunt and kill them. In the most inhumane ways possible. Fantastic. See, that's things, where we are. Things are working out very well. By the way, the uh, Donald Trump also rolled back the FCC's uh, internet, internet privacy rules. Because everybody voted for that. Yeah, well, the Republicans did. The yeah. Republicans in the House and Senate passed that uh, to allow your ISP now to take your uh, browsing habits and sell them, give them away, whatever they want. Uh, and uh, Trump signed that on Monday now, so that's official law. And uh, as far as I can tell, his biggest accomplishment so far as President of the United States. So uh, congratulations, Mr. Trump. Congratulations, Republicans. Congratulations, hibernating bears. And uh, congratulations, America. We are now great again. My thanks to our producer, Desi Toyan, to my guest today, Barbara Simons of VerifiedVoting.org, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who uh, support the work we do here by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. 
Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, bears. Bears.